Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we continue once again our From the Vault series, our celebration of the GovComs podcast and indeed the In Transition podcast, which was the name of the podcast before we changed it. We have over 300 episodes now available for you to listen to, and I'd encourage you to uh, jump online and explore the vast back catalogue. In this From the Vault series, what we're doing is reaching in and picking out uh, just a few to feature, but there are so many that you can go back and have a listen to. And I I do think going back uh, to go forward is a very, very good practice. But listen, today, uh, a friend of Content Group, uh, Roger Christie, who is the founder and managing director of Propel, which is a multi-award winning consultancy that helps leaders and organizations build purposeful digital brands and reputations. This conversation was from 2021. We discussed everything social media, uh, from using social media to overcoming barriers to the roles of individuals and leaders. And again, there is just so much relevant today as there was back in 2021. But anyway, Roger, uh, a great guy uh, and certainly a wonderful professional. And I started this conversation by asking him how it was that he came to have a career in social media. Yeah, in, in terms of my background, I've got a um, well, grew up in the world of public relations, uh, believe it or not, and and through that got a good introduction to uh, corporate communications, reputation management, looking at things more through an issues lens, um, and I think working a lot with professional services firms, I got to appreciate the importance of taking ideas and, and taking um, others' expertise and translating that in a way that um, their audiences could best understand. And so that naturally, if you think about it, led me into social media, which at that time was a new and emerging channel uh, that could be used to broaden your reach or you know, maybe find new audiences, engage with new audiences, uh, and particularly in that two-way manner. So I, I almost, I suppose, as a lot of people, um, whatever it is, 15 years ago now, did in, in social media, fell into it because it was an opportunity that emerged. And, um, and you know, the rest is history, as they say. I've, I've kind of gone on to uh, explore it more purposefully. And, um, and that's where the, uh, my interest um, in terms of the role that social media can play with government has come from. Mm. So how? what about that pathway? You, you mentioned that mm. you had been working in the corporate sector mm. um, and, and looking at it, but where, what was the pathway towards government? Because I know Propel not only uh, works in government, still works in the corporate sector, but what yes. brought about the interest in government? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, to be completely truthful, uh, we're almost a a living, breathing case study of how this social media world works because um, I I don't have a background or certainly at that time didn't have a background in government, hadn't worked in the public sector. Um, And when Propel um, was finding its feet, I suppose, our focus was around um, broadening the use and application of social media beyond marketing and communications um, into areas like service delivery. And obviously, something that, that's something that really resonates with a lot of government agencies. 
And so we were writing content and thought leadership around, well, what was this service delivery function and, and how could it support both corporate and um, you know, public sector clients? Um, and believe it or not, through Google, uh, we came across our first uh, government client who reached out to us and said, look, I, I've read what you were saying about the role that social media plays in service delivery and how we can meet citizens' needs. We'd love to have a chat. So from there, we've actually started what has essentially been a, you know, a, a seven uh, year journey uh, working with the public sector that I've really enjoyed because I think there's a whole lot of opportunities across the public sector that the private simply can't touch um, given the kind of non-compete and collaborative nature of um, uh, of the public sector. So um, yeah, it was it was almost not by accident, David, but it was certainly something that wasn't by design. Um, and we've then gone on a very interesting journey to learn a lot about the way that that world works. And and now, you know, in things like the leadership network that you mentioned earlier, um, groups like that uh, are invaluable uh, for the future of social media across the public service in Australia. Mm. How is government different to the corporate world in the way that they apply and use social media? Well, look, the way that they, you know, use and uh, or approach and apply social media, I think there's a uh, perhaps a more altruistic intent to learn about the needs of audiences um, and maybe that comes from you know the, the 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 fundamentals of the public sector itself so that's not a surprise but how that manifests in social media is there's perhaps more of a interest and, and more of a, a focus on how you might use social media for service delivery as opposed to marketing or advertising or campaign-related activities. Now, I'm not saying that that isn't um, a, a factor at all, but there's perhaps less uh, inclination to go there straight away. Um, and so what that's led to with our conversations with uh, government clients is uh, there's almost a, a mixed view or a blended view of how can social media support our communications? Yes, that's probably the default response to most people. How can social media help us better understand our audiences? Um, and, and that may be audiences that you knew and had access to, but it might be audiences that are talking about the topics that are of interest to your agency or you know, things relating to um, policy decisions that have or are about to be made. And the third component really is around that service delivery element. How can social media actually provide us with a, you know, an efficient, almost no wrong door style approach uh, to engaging citizens and providing them with a, a means to access services that they otherwise couldn't? Uh, so looking at those three areas, I feel like the, the public sector differs slightly because there's a natural inclination more towards that, that service um, intent uh, than there might be in the corporate sector. Okay, well, let's pull each of those apart before we get into the, you know, mm. the changing context. Um, communications seems pretty straightforward in, you know, the government has a, a policy program service or regulation to explain um, to citizens and stakeholders. So that would seem to be reasonably straightforward in the way that you might use social media. Yes, it is. Uh, but I think that the the big difference as far as um, what best practice looks like, um, if you look at those three, for example, what be best practice looks like in the public sector is how communications is informed by listening and intelligence and how even things like service delivery and, you know, customer service, if you want to call it that, 
how that uh, real-time face-to-face interaction uh, via social media channels, of course, is drawn in to inform communications that go, go out. So it's not about communications in a vacuum or a silo. It's about an integrated ecosystem that, that works together, shares ideas, shares uh, knowledge in real time uh, in a way that social media provides that other channels don't um, to increase the effectiveness of all of those three areas. So you're spot on with communications. It is straightforward. The challenge is then making sure that there is integration with the listening element to bring the insight and intelligence in and the service element to know what pain points people are experiencing and what their, you know, their, their genuine or realistic uh, impressions and, and feelings around any uh, any government agencies' activities are. Now, there's a couple of issues in that. Um, mm. The listening and intelligence part of it, um, this is the line around privacy and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in terms of government listening to conversations. What's your advice to people as they start down this path of introducing social listening um, to gain those better insights and and how do they do it in such a way that it doesn't breach any sort of privacy policies which are, you know, vitally important to the integrity and trust of public sector organisations? Yeah, it's a really good question and one that, you know, you would be surprised comes up quite a bit. Um, I think what we always try to remind people is that any listening that certainly we're involved with or anything that we recommend uh, is in the public domain. So this is information that has been been provided by uh, people, by users um, of that particular channel. Um, and it is simply using a third-party tool to capture and, and almost organise that information in a way that makes it usable. I think what's interesting, David, is that you um, it is a, a question for each agency and I suppose the leadership of each agency to understand what is their level of comfort, what is their appetite, um, because that is different for each agency um, and, and often based on people's experiences. Um, but if you understand that, you can then start to frame a conversation that's, okay, well, based on your level of comfort and your, and your risk appetite, um, what can and should you do? And I think if we then put the customer hat on or the citizen hat on, um, the reality is that there is now an expectation that this information uh, can be and should be used. The reason why people uh, comment or complain, for example, on a Facebook page is to get action. It's not to yell into a void. It's to try and see some kind of uh, a reaction and change in the way things are being done. So there is an expectation from those audiences that, that government is trying to serve that they can and, and should use this information uh, to make better decisions. So looking at those two things in parallel and understanding your risk appetite is a, is a way to start a very constructive conversation about, okay, now, what tools should we use? How can we capture this information? How can we protect the identity of those people? And how can we ensure that we're always only capturing information that is in the public domain? How do you start these conversations in organisations which are notoriously risk averse? You know, it's it's not a culture of... Uh, embracing uh, often, uh, and, and perhaps this is more at a, at a federal level more so than at a state level where you're closer and certainly local government closer again to the citizens. But what a, how do you start to influence cultures that are, you know, uncomfortable perhaps might be the best word with, you know, providing responses uh, quickly? Yeah. So the first thing, and, and perhaps the biggest piece of advice for anyone who is working uh, across government in social media is never try to sell it. Don't try to sell social media because if you do, you're going in selling the wrong thing. Um, I think the easiest way to look at social media is as a conduit 
as a, a connection point, a link between you as a uh, you know, public sector agency, for example, and the audiences that you serve. And so in which case, remove the label social media, replace it with anything else. What we're looking at here is a way to connect those two worlds in order to ensure that those two worlds reach better outcomes together. So rather than trying to sell social media, it's more about helping people understand what can it be used for and what use cases or, you know, what problems does it solve um, that, that are worth uh, their time and worth their attention. So in unpacking those fears and reservations around social media, rather than trying to battle them head on, instead look at the, the current pain points that any organisation is facing or look at any of their um, strategic ambitions and opportunities that are on the radar that they're working towards and, and instead position social media as a way to actually overcome those barriers or access those future opportunities. And, and look, I think a really good example of that, if I can go back to an early uh, government client that we had, they were really concerned about participating publicly in, in social media and, and, you know, obviously had a lot of fears around a world that they perhaps didn't understand uh, quite so well. Um, or at least that they didn't understand as well as other communication channels that they had at that time because uh, it was new at that stage. And, and in their case, it was about saying, well, look, you don't necessarily have to pop your head up straight away and have this presence that sits across all social media channels for, for you to get value from social media at all. And the conversation actually then went in a completely different direction, more around this insight and intelligence piece, which was to say, well, how can you listen to, pub again, publicly available conversations to ensure that you're picking up on, on any issues and using your existing channels of engagement to either correct or inform or influence um, a better outcome for the, you know, the constituents that matter most to you? So in their case, they didn't even have a public presence. There wasn't any interface with people online because that was a, a, a bridge too far for them at that stage. So instead, what they looked at was, well, what insight and intelligence can we glean about what people really care about to better do our job, to better provide the service that they expect of us um, and improve outcomes for citizens? So, yeah, you, you, can, you can approach it many different ways, but leading with social media is always fraught with danger. Mm, and connecting it to business objectives and corporate plans and citizen understanding. And as you say, publicly available information, that seems to take a lot of the edge off it or a lot of the concern yeah. away from it. And there, it sounds like there is a, a graduated way that people can build confidence and trust with leadership over time and manage the risks. Because you mentioned the risk appetite uh, earlier on in the conversation. And that really is, a, you know, it, that is what keeps... Um, uh, senior executives uh, alive to issues is anything to do with risk. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's a really good point. So if we look at just the past, you know, 12 to 18 months, for example, what has happened in the world of social media? If you just, if you look at the numbers um, as almost like a reference point, we've seen growth globally of around 13, 14% of social media users. We've also seen uh, in Australia, for example, usage um, of social media increase by around 30% um, in, in early COVID. So we're not, not just seeing the numbers of people increase, we're also seeing the use and adoption of the platforms increase. So if you only look at those two points on their own, I'm not trying to sell social media. What I'm saying is that the people who matter most to you, the citizens, the, the, the audiences who sit on the other side of the Facebook page, for example, they are using these channels in their droves. And so in, in essence, by opting out of social media, you're opting out of engagement opportunities with those audiences, which in my view, um, and certainly from the, the work that we've done, is a greater risk 
then learning how they use those platforms, listening to the uh, the pieces of advice and information and feedback that they're giving you and providing a valuable service through those channels. So in that sense, avoidance is actually a greater risk than participation mm. when it comes to social media. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any da- doubt about that. And that probably takes us to this, you know, extraordinary period, as you mentioned, in the last 12 to 18 months where, you know, particularly around a number of the health departments um, around the country, just the sheer explosion in the size of the audiences and the demands and the growth in the teams that have been seeking to deal um, with the amount of uh, intelligence um, that they've been gathering from these particular platforms. Um, Perhaps give us your reflection on that as somebody who's been right in the middle of it. Um, Tell us the story of, of what you saw in those early days and how teams have been adapting to take, um, to deal with it. Yeah, so I mean, our personal story is an interesting one because I can remember the moment. I think I don't know if people um, have done this, but what happened when COVID hit? Like, what was, where were you? What was your experience? All that sort of stuff. And I can remember. Um, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it started uh, many months earlier um, on the other side of the world. But um, our experience here in Australia, I remember being on the bus heading across the City Harbour Bridge uh, into the city for meetings, and I got a call from uh, one of our government clients saying, you know, look it looks like things are starting to escalate quickly. Um, can we have a chat and, and work out how to tackle, uh, you know, what is essentially this tsunami that's um, that's bearing down on us? Um, and so found a, a, a little uh, booth <laughs> up near uh, the centre of the CBD, for those who know it, near Wynyard Station, and, and was literally bunkered down for the next, I think, you know, six or seven hours just talking through crisis planning and response for them um, as these lockdown measures started to come in. And it was fascinating because I suppose... Uh, within the the public sector, obviously, you're sitting at the front line uh, of uh, everything that is being felt by citizens. And social media was essentially that pulse of the nation um, where people were, were airing their concerns, their confusion, their frustrations, um, all the different parts of their world that, that had changed from what they knew and understood just days or weeks earlier. So um, it, it, was, it was a crazy time. It really was. And I think that what's been encouraging for me is if I can call myself kind of an outside observer of all this is seeing, one, how, uh, you know, government agencies have stood up and responded. I think that's been fantastic. And if nothing else, COVID has accelerated uh, the, the interest and the investment in social media channels as a genuine mechanism for citizen engagement. And on the other hand, on the citizen side, what it's done is, is um, you know, thrown uh, the public sector into the spotlight and forced people to, to consider the public sector's value in their lives, um, the role, the important role that it does play, uh, and how they can almost work more in partnership and, and learn to uh, benefit from the, the resources and the information and all that that is put out by uh, public sector agencies through social media. So it's a wonderful, you know, don't get me wrong, uh, everything that's happened since has been uh, you know, really catastrophic for a lot of people, not just in Australia, but around the globe. That, that has been, uh, well, we can't ignore that. But in terms of the relationship between government and citizens, it's presented a real opportunity uh, for new levels of trust and credibility um, and relationship to be formed. So in terms then of this shifting context, because I don't think there's any chance that it's going back to the way that it was, early adopters are probably now further down uh, that adoption curve and and maturing their, their approaches to be able to manage and use social media effectively uh, laggards have been probably forced into the game 
and are continuing to to build their capability in being able to use social media more effectively. What's some of your advice um, to people listening to the podcast today if they're sort of casting about thinking about how to improve their capability? What are some of the the basics that they need to have in place in order to make the most of this, you know, as you say, wonderful opportunity to have that direct relationship one-on-one with citizens? Mm, it's a it's a really good question, and I, I think if I look at that, I'll, I'll answer that question in two ways. One, from a I suppose an agency perspective, and then also from the individual perspective, because I think that's a really important one that often gets forgotten. So the first thing is we've got to learn from the experiences of twenty twenty. So if if any uh, organisation is sitting there thinking, or any agency is sitting there going, well, you know, as you say, it's not going away. So uh, what can we learn from the experiences of twenty twenty? Those that that thrived um, and those who suffered or those who struggled. What can we learn from that? Don't build your fort in a battle. That's the number one thing. So if, you, if you're looking to build, um, you know, brand and, and trust equity, if you will, um, you need to get in and set these things up now. And the way that that's done is by listening to uh, audiences around you. So th- this is a very, very simple practice. We've talked about, you know, the, the value of listening to uh, the, the, the feedback and the insights of citizens that can help inform uh, decisions internally. Get out there and understand your key audiences. It, absolutely, the number one thing, understand your audience, understand what their pains are, understand what their pressure points are and where you play a role. Know where they're active, know what channels they are um, conversing on, know where your sources of influence are, know where your partners and and those that you, you know, would commonly um, have relationships behind closed doors or, you know, in the physical world, how do those partners translate online too? That's incredibly important because you need to be able to harness their reach and influence to get messages out there in the future. So if you haven't mapped this network, absolutely do so. But all that is tied into the listening component of it. You need to understand the environment in which you're operating. So whether you're an agency or whether you're a leader, you must understand that environment because if you don't, the risk you run is you dive into an environment you don't understand. And it would be the same as turning up to a media briefing without knowing the journalist. You run the risk of getting things terribly wrong in a very public and permanent environment that is digital. So know the environment before you get in there and definitely don't build that fort in a battle. Um, So once you have that intelligence, this is where things start to split between the organisational approach or the institutional approach, if you will, and the individual approach. So at that institution level, it really is about all the stuff we've just been chatting about. So an ongoing listening stream, an ongoing communication stream, an ongoing service delivery stream or function. But what happened through COVID, and and I think what was the interesting uh, tipping point, was that it was no longer good enough for government agencies to simply stand behind the brand and, and, and talk to people in a kind of, you know, impersonal or um, a shielded way. Citizens expected engagement with the top. They expected to see people um, uh, who were making decisions and who did have the power to influence them speaking themselves. And they wanted, I suppose, that comfort and that assurance that the people who were making those big decisions um, uh, were listening to them and were understanding the experiences that they were having. And you only need to look around at uh, the the activities of the various political party leaders um, and also some, you know, senior government figures as well, if you look at the the change in behaviour over the past 18 months, you'll see there's just been this rapid rise and realisation that there is a key role for leaders to play in participating and engaging with audiences themselves. 
Um, I mean, you look at our premiers uh, around the country at the moment, they all use social media to great effect. That same thinking should apply um, across the public service too. Um, and, and public sector agency leaders need to have a voice in this discussion because it's an expectation of citizens now. Um, and it does have an incredibly important role to play in ensuring uh, key messages reach the right audiences to, you know, for example, ward off mis or disinformation, um, but also simply to build uh, trust and relationships and, and calm at a time when people are feeling very unsettled. So if I'm a a public sector leader, I already have a a fairly busy life and I've also got the challenge of making sure that I perhaps, um, you know, walk that difficult line between ministerial uh, profile and information that I need to get out. How do do you advise people to, in, in managing that, sometimes difficult sort of line between not getting in the space of the elected political leaders, but at the same time being able to deliver uh, effective and relevant information to audiences which would be of value to the government. Mm. Mm. So, look, I think there's a, there's a couple of social media truths and if you start there, it just makes your life so much easier in, in making decisions from there as any leader. And, and a couple of those truths are these channels are already already widely used and adopted um, and almost expected by citizens. So if we kind of accept that as a truth, that people are actively using these channels themselves, then it's not a question of, well, do they have any merit? Is there any value to be gained? It's more, how can I participate in a constructive way and within the constraints of my world, as you're saying? Um, So there will always be people, the other thing I should say as well, there will always be people who um, it doesn't matter what you say and where you say it, uh, whether it's online, offline, whatever channel you choose, they're always just keen to throw mud. And that's the reality of life, unfortunately. It's the the reality of humanity, unfortunately. Uh, And social media is, is no different. So Bearing that in mind and bearing that uh, I suppose you you need to block those voices out and need to respect that um, uh, people will do that, there's so much opportunity to be gained, so much upside to be gained um, by recognising that people are online and they're looking to hear from uh, people who are influential like you. So, yeah, I I just think if you can can understand that truth and that starts to frame your behaviour, it starts a more constructive conversation. So from there, it's then reframing risk and saying, okay, we know that it is uh, more important to participate than to avoid social media because... If we don't have a voice in this environment, someone will fill the space for us. And I think the classic example of that, if we go back to early COVID, I think it was a a federal government point of view, which was, you know, don't listen to any of the rubbish you hear on social media, go to our official sources. And I thought that was a really interesting line because, yes, I appreciate that there is a lot of noise and there is a lot of rubbish on social media, but those same channels that are causing a lot of problems are the very ones that can help you solve the problem. So rather than telling people, stop using the channels that you like and that are you know, built into your day um, and start using our official source that sits over here, please, could you go there in an orderly fashion? Instead, there's a real opportunity to actually unpack that and say, well, look, if social media is the problem here, it's actually part of the solution as well. And we need to learn how to use these channels in the same way that people are using them for the wrong reason in order to influence behaviour. So as a leader of a public sector agency, absolutely draw your boundaries around what you can and can't say and your constraints um, being in a position, you know, of of authority and and scrutiny. Um, Absolutely draw those boundaries. 
but recognize the fundamental truth that it is much more beneficial for you to have a presence and um, to participate and to listen than it is not to, because at least then you're in the game. At least then you have the ability to shape and influence conversations. Um, at least you have the, the capacity to ward off mis- and disinformation. Um, these are the choices that, um, or the opportunities that are presented to you by participating. So once the decision is made, and it sounds like a decision that really is an, is an obvious decision and it has to be made because, again, the growth, influence, reach of these particular channels is only growing and you, you uh, quoted some of those statistics earlier on. But, again, the, the way that you then engage effectively is also uh, another challenge. You know, the web social is very visual, uh, increasingly, animations, uh, graphics, video, um, engaging audio content. It's not just, you know, knocking out um, a few words. And indeed, you know, posts that you see without any graphics these days sort of look a bit flat. Mm-hmm. So how then, or what's your advice then for people to um, spin up the capability to be able to um, participate effectively in social media rather than, you know, just as I say, you know, relying on, you know, a few words um, to get your message across. Mm. Yeah. So, I I mean, my view on that is, um, and if you look at the most effective leaders out there, particularly across the public sector, the most effective examples are those who recognise that social media is not a sum of your communications effort. Um, And I think that those that go into social media with a broadcast mentality uh, are going to find themselves unstuck uh, very, very quickly. Your your point about risk earlier too, David, this is a really good point to touch on. If you go in with a broadcast mindset and you are focused on the crafting of the message as opposed to, you know, the listening benefits, the the network and, and relationship building benefits, all that sort of thing, if you just focus on the broadcast, you're inadvertently exposing yourself to risk because what, what you're doing is you're closing your ears and eyes off uh, to the conversations happening around you. And that, that can you know, present itself in a few different ways. You might post a message um, that you know, falls on deaf ears. At worst, you might pose, post a message that agitates people uh, because you're not across the context. You know, for example, there might be a service outage and you're posting a really positive message at that time uh, and people will ask you if you've spoken to your service team. So those sorts of uh, very practical challenges, it's, it's important to remember comms is only one part of it. When, when you go into that though, um, and yes, you're right, format is important and the algorithms these days, and they're, they're constantly changing, um, but the algorithms are so, to understand them is important to ensure you get cut through with any message. So yes, it's about having visual content, um, but importantly, it's about having content that is first informed by the insights and the needs of the audience you're trying to reach. And that's where listening comes in. So um, we talk about this approach at Propel, uh, which is the PLAN methodology, your your plan for social media. And so for leaders, that's around, um, yes, your profile, the P element of it. So making sure that when someone Googles your name, they see the right thing. That's obviously very important. Um, And, you know, your LinkedIn profile is the best way to control what people see when they Google your name. Then the L stands for listening which is an obvious one, making sure we're informed, that then leads to your activity, the A. And, and that's a lot around the, the comments, the, the communications, the information that you post out into the public social web. So if you can start with listening and then use that to inform your activity and the content you post and the choices you're making around format, because, you know, David, as, as you well know, 
choosing the right format also um, relies or depends on the audience you're trying to reach and the channel you're using. So if you've got a really good understanding of who that audience is and how they're most likely to be influenced, um, you're going to craft a better message absolutely every single time. And then the N at, at the end of plan is network. And that's all around the company that you keep. Um, and yes, that can be, you know, the, the people with, you know, if you are a leader of a, of a large agency, for example, it can be your, your staff, your employees, a part of your network, but also your partners and those that you need to maintain strategic relationships with um, and those that you can call on if you're looking to get a message out there in a timely fashion. And there's, I think there's plenty of examples throughout there, David, for people to look at if they're keen to see, well, what, what message style works? Uh, what resonates with people? What do they respond best to? Um, and as you say, you know, if, if it's just a simple message or a text message, um, a text-based message, does that cut through today? There's plenty of examples others can look at for inspiration. Mm. So it, it's a big mind shift. It's a big capability uplift. It's a skills uplift. It, it is a major transformation that's taking place at warp speed. What's mm. your advice then for teams and advisors to senior executives, not only the senior executives who have to, you know, have the profile and be involved, certainly they can't just um, abrogate responsibility, but with the, for the teams then working around them, how best can people work together, you know, to build and deliver uh, an effective program of communication, which clearly as you've uh, emphasised is based on listening and, and understanding of the audience? Yeah, well, again, one of those social media truths is that good leadership has never been more visible than it is today. So, um, and here's a wonderful opportunity for you to build the uh, the profile and the the foundations that you need to project um, those examples of good leadership and 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 what you need to position your agency in the right light to people. What I'd say is, yeah, as you point to, the first step is understanding that audience and and doing your research to know well who is out there, what channels are they using, what conversations are they, or what issues are they talking about. To make sure you know and you can almost, if you're advising a leader, you can give them that briefing on what's happening out there, what is almost the pulse of the audiences that, that matter most to me and where are they having these conversations. From there, it's about then building a purposeful uh, plan, what we call a purposeful digital brand, um, that helps leaders step into this environment in the most comfortable way. Because I 100% appreciate what you're saying there and, and we've had this conversation with you know, many others who feel the same way. This is new. This is scary. And, and even the point you made before about capacity, it is something that takes a bit of time in those early stages. But if you work out what the mood of the room is and if you work out how you can contribute to that environment, um, it makes everything an awful lot easier. And we talk about that purposeful digital brand because when you think about it, if anything that you say and do online is connected to your values, what matters to you and what you know matters to your audience, you're far less likely to be exposing yourself to risk. If you go in and you look at the platforms as a way to quickly gain popularity or quickly gain reach or anything like that, and, and it's, it's about you know, playing the algorithms, then the risk you run is you'll make choices that lean more towards reach and popularity than staying true to your values and, and what you know uh, you stand for. That's where risk comes in. So what I advise people is to start slow, learn um, from the audience and start slow and start small. Listen, uh, observe others' comments, observe others' interactions online to get some comfort in how that works. 
um, and then gradually take your first steps. You don't need to go out there with, you know, banners and trumpets and all that sort of stuff and say, here's my first long form thought leadership piece. Absolutely not. Uh, it's softly, softly um, and go in respectfully, almost adopt a servant leadership approach to social media. Go in with your eyes open and, and to see what you can learn from others rather than what you can say to others. But there's simply no choice, is there? It's not as if this is a nice to, to have anymore. It's a, it is an essential platform for communication, both to listen and, and, and know and understand, but then also to, as you say, network and, and, and fill with your perspective at the right time. Exactly right. And I think it's, it's, the sooner people realise that, the easier it is to start um, you know, mapping a plan for yourself uh, because you recognise that it is something that just needs to be done. So what is my role in this? How can I participate that is authentic to my values and, and what my agency, you know, what our strategic ambitions are and what we stand for? Um, it's the best way or the, the easiest way to start that journey. Well, Roger, fantastic advice. Now, listen, how can people who are listening, many government communications people listen to this podcast, the Government Social Media Leadership Network, how can they get involved in that if indeed they'd like to learn more about it? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if people are interested in the network and, and you know, I probably should have given a little bit of information around that at the start, but the the group, uh, you know, we're a group of, oh, I say we, obviously I'm not a public sector <laughs> practitioner, but um, but obviously working closely with the guys and, you know, that that's one of the interesting things about how the group all came about, talking with all these different people across government and saying, look, there's a huge opportunity for you guys if you if you meet together across federal, state and local jurisdictions, as you were saying, to, to meet and share these experiences. So I'm really there as the facilitator and, and the person who um, who brings people together in this instance. So um, we, we'd love to hear from people who are looking to um, advance the use of social media within their agency or people who are seasoned practitioners and have been doing it for some time and just want to know, well, there's a group of like-minded people who I can share ideas and experiences with or, or bounce things off if I've got questions. Um, so uh, the best thing to do is just to reach out to me. And I think the easiest way is on LinkedIn. Uh, if you just look for Roger Christie uh, on LinkedIn. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, people can drop me an email. Um, uh, it's simple enough to find online. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear from people who are interested. Um, and uh, yeah, we're always looking to expand that remit because I do think one of the unique opportunities for government is that you are able to collaborate, you are able to share experiences. And you know, I've seen immense value in that group uh, over the past 12 to 18 months. Fantastic. Well, Roger, thank you so much for giving up some of your time to speak to the audience today. Um, lots of wisdom in all of that. And again, that framework, I think that plan framework of, you know, profile, listening, activity and network. It's a nice, simple way for people to really start to go on to that journey. You know, the, the maelstrom of, of COVID is perhaps settled from where it was, but now is perhaps the time. Um, to, you know, don't build the fort in the storm. Perhaps the storm is starting to ease a little bit, really pick up the learnings, the lessons, and then to start to really, um, you know, work across your organisation and try to understand which part of the business is going to uh, reach value or, or gather value from some of these conversations and then start to build it in. Just one thing before we go, and I think it's uh, it's it's something that I'm, you know, continually seeing is that, what social media does in in many ways, and obviously there are the you know the wider public you know if we use public health as a, as an example, it's it's 
it's something that's of interest to everybody and so therefore it's applicable to a to a wider audience but much of what government does is quite narrow uh, but often uh, at the moment at least in terms of the the channels they're quite limited so a large department that might be covering off you know a range of different sectors that have a number of niche audiences across them are all tell, trying to tell the 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 one story through or the multiple stories, I should say, through the one channel. And I wonder if that's effective uh, enough, but then you go to risk and people think, well, we just need to run it through one channel. What's your advice when, you know, much of um, social media is about the niche and it's about, you know, people gathering around a particular area of interest as opposed to uh, being interested in in the whole departmental story, often of which people aren't? Mm. Yeah, really good question and a big question. Look, I think it's um, uh, this comes back to the the um, audit and strategy, or the importance of audit and strategy, I should say, because one, you've got to know those audiences that you talk about who might be interested in one aspect but not every aspect. Um, you've got to know where they are and what they're interested in and take an audience-led approach to social media, not a channel or a brand-led approach to social media because I guarantee you if you go that channel or brand-led approach, that's your first step in the wrong direction. It, the more aligned you are with the audiences that matter to you, uh, the more likely you are to make a better choice. And then where I say strategy is because it really gets into the territory of, um, and this is the the reality of the social media world and has been for some time now, it is no longer and hasn't been for some time an organic channel. It is very much both an organic and a paid channel. And so government agencies must understand that the audiences that you have within your social media communities right now, uh, not that they're all irrelevant, absolutely not, but they will, will not be every single person that you want to reach through social media. And it may be simply that you've got an important announcement to get out at a, at a given time and the audience that's within your um, you know, Facebook community, for example, isn't the audience you need to hit with that message. What social media provides is a really valuable, um, and, and to your point that you know, those niche audiences, a really targeted approach to reaching the right people with the right message in the right channel. So rather than looking at it as, well, if we've got several hundred thousand followers on our Facebook page, every single one of those people is going to see the message when we put it out there. Try and unpack that thinking and instead think, well, which is the audience that most needs to hear this message? How important is it that they hear this message? And what kind of paid or campaign approach is going to work to ensure that they receive that message in a timely manner? So that's a bigger question around paid and organic strategy, but I 100% agree with you. We, we need to move away from that, that default thinking that everything we post on our Facebook page is seen or that everything that we post is going to be relevant to every audience. Um, you know, we, we need to be far more nuanced and far more targeted than that today. So there you go, Roger Christie, the founder and managing director of Propel. Worth getting in contact if you are thinking about digital reputation and how indeed you can use social media and content to build your brand online. Now, as always, a rating or a review is very helpful. So if you did have time, please, if you could do that for us, we would much appreciate that action. We will be back in two weeks' time with another of our classic episodes from The Vault. I'm David Pembroke, and it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.